All right, hey everybody. We're gonna do something a little bit different today. Um, you can see that I am not at home. You don't have my wall of Bibles and guitars behind me. Um, I'm at my brother's house, and so I thought I'd pull a, uh, you know, an FDR and give a little fireside chat. So I built a little fire here. I set up the GoPro um, uh, to record this little sermon. And uh, I'm already starting to regret it because that fire is about a thousand degrees behind me. Uh, it's burning pretty hot, so we'll see. Maybe the end of this sermon won't be in front of a fire, but I think it looks pretty cool, a little different background. Um, and so this is, uh, you know, the week after Thanksgiving, but we're still going to do, um, you know, this will be sort of our holiday, our first holiday sermon. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about Thanksgiving today. Um, so let me just open us up in prayer, and um, yeah, then we'll jump into it. We're going to read a psalm today. Uh, and so, Lord, we just thank you for all that you've done for us, the, the countless ways um, in which you have been such a wonderful father um, to us, your adopted children. And as we think about being thankful today, Lord, I just pray that you would bring to remembrance, uh, that you would help us to just think about and meditate on all the, the things that we have to be thankful for, all the ways that you've blessed us, but also just um, help us to be thankful for who you are and who you've revealed yourself to be in your word. So. Um, we pray all these things in your name. Amen. John Calvin, who was uh, one of the reformers um, during the Reformation uh, in Geneva in the, what would that have been, the 16th century, uh, he said this, talking about giving thanks. We're going to talk about Thanksgiving today. He said this, we have short memories in magnifying God's grace. Every blessing that God confers upon us perished through our carelessness if we are not prompt and active in giving thanks. So what he says is, look, if we're not um, uh, like active, if we're not trying to be thankful, we're not just going to accidentally slip and fall and be thankful uh, one day. It's like in um, we have to we have to put some effort into it, is what he's saying. Uh, it's like in First Samuel uh, seven in seven twelve. There's a battle, and God wins the battle for His people miraculously, and He tells him, look, okay, take those big giant stones over there, those big rocks and stand them up on their sides, and then name them Ebenezer. They're called the Ebenezer Stones. And you might know that from that song, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, Here I Raise My Ebenezer. That's what that comes from. It's a, the idea is, every time then you walk by these stones, and you see these weird stones that are um, uh, standing up when they're not supposed to be, you'll remember, oh yeah, that was the time that God won this battle for his people. Um, we have to uh, be active in trying to remember those things, but also just in our daily lives, we have to be active in trying to look for things to be thankful for, right? 2020 has given us a lot of reasons to be careless and not to be active in our thanksgiving, right? Um, our, our nature, right? Our fallen, our broken hearts will speak to us and they'll say things like, uh, look, you, um, you can't even leave your house, right? You, you planted a church in March. What are you, an idiot? Uh, your back hurts, you know, what do you have to be thankful for? And so unless we're actively trying to look around for things um, to be thankful for, we're going to miss a lot of the things that God has blessed us, a lot of the ways that God has blessed us. Um, I love reading Sherlock Holmes. I don't know if you guys know that. I have a bunch of old copies of Sherlock Holmes, and I've collected some old books. Uh, one of my favorite was, though, I bought this book here. I've actually been sitting by this fire. We got here yesterday. Uh, I've been sitting by this fire reading Sherlock Holmes last night after, every, or I was last night after everybody went to bed. 
um, The Sign of the Four. That's the book, the, one of the novels that I'm reading. Anyway, I have this complete um, Sherlock Holmes collection. I think it's pretty cool. I got it from Barnes and Noble. It's pretty fancy. Anyway, one of the the other day I was reading one of them, and he was talking to Doc, uh, Holmes was talking to Watson, and he said something like, um, you know paraphrasing he's like look the reason that you're not as good at this as me you know Sherlock Holmes this whole thing is seeing the details and putting it all together and he says it's just because you're not watching you know you're not you're not looking uh, and then he gives home um, he gives Watson a little exercise to try to show him how it works you know I think it was his his brother's watch or whatever at the beginning of the sign of the four anyway I was thinking that's kind of how we are in life right a lot of us are going through life like Dr. Watson just letting things pass by and we're not noticing the details but the kind of people we should be, the kind of thankful people that we should be, is more like Sherlock Holmes, who notices details and uh, is active in paying attention. And so this this sermon today is a Thanksgiving sermon that's aimed to that end, right? To help us to stop and to really just uh, be a thankful church, right? To be thankful uh, followers of King Jesus. Um, now, I've never done a Thanksgiving sermon before. You guys know I like to teach through books of the Bible. So in all my years of teaching, I've never stopped and done a Thanksgiving sermon. Uh, sermon. So what I decided to do was to take Psalm 136, and we're going to read this sort of with the lens of Thanksgiving. Now, let me tell you how I normally write sermons. Um, there's usually a lot of research involved. I, I print out the, or I, I mean print out, you know, I do it in, on my iPad, but, you know, I, I draw all over it. Um, I write down as many questions as I think of. I read it a million times in a bunch of different versions, and um, I, I research, and I organize, and I jot things down, and then I start to outline and write, and I rewrite, and then I rewrite, and then I do more research, and then I rewrite it. And um, Finally, I go through this checklist of questions that I have about, because uh, what I really want to be is a kind of preacher who accurately um, teaches the text to the people, right, uh, to you guys. Uh, you know, so I want to adapt it well so that you guys know what's going on. Um, now, uh, this sermon is going to be a little bit different. We're not really um, going to get into the ins and outs of the grammar and really talk about this this psalm. We're gonna. This is going to be more of a bunch of little short devotionals. So what I did was I I, I got this psalm and I I looked through it and I saw eight things to be thankful for. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to use this Psalm 136 as sort of a springboard just to talk about. Here, look, at, there's a lot of other things going on in this Psalm that we're just going to completely ignore. Um, so what we're really going to have here is eight quick mini sermons um, with the theme being thankfulness. Um, the better way to teach this Psalm would be to talk about uh, the way this Psalm was written. It was written for public worship. And the people of God would read this, uh, you know, in the Old Testament, they would read this psalm, and it sort of hit the major highlights of what God had done for the people in the Torah. So it's almost like an outline of the Torah. And um, anyway, not that that stuff's not important. That's just not exactly what we're going to do today. Um, so we're going to take these eight things, and we're going to think about things to be thankful for. It's not an exhaustive list. It's just eight things I saw as I was reading this uh, that I think will be helpful. Um, but anyway, so what I want you to do right now, though, is... Uh, pause the video because this sermon is going to be a little bit more interactive. So I want you to, to stop the as soon as I'm done with this part. Stop the video and go get a piece of paper and a pen or get your notes app out on your phone or a notebook and a pen or pencil or whatever because at the end of each of these eight things I'm going to have um, I'm going to have like a little exercise for you to do. Um, and so okay let's start at the beginning then. Psalm we are in, uh, that's not my Bible, that's Sherlock Holmes. You guys want to read Sherlock Holmes with me? I'll sit by the fire and read you guys Sherlock Holmes. That actually sounds amazing. Just kidding. Um, okay, Psalm 136, verse 1. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. 
So the first thing that we have to be thankful for is the goodness of God. In our world, when we talk about, when we use the word good, it basically means okay, but not great, right? Well, how was dinner? How was good, right? Um, philosophy talks about goodness uh, in a few different ways, like ethics, what's good and what's, what's evil, um, right? One uh, example is um, Aristotle talked about how goodness is sort of the sweet spot between any two extremes, right? Between excess and mean. So an example is um, if like, uh, let's take an example like love. Um, is the sweet spot between hatred and obsession, right? So enemies and stalkers. You don't want to be a stalker of somebody, but you also don't want to be their enemy. The middle point there is where you would find love. That's what Aristotle says, and that that's love that would be good. Um, philosophers talk about it in terms of aesthetics, right? Like what is beautiful? What makes something good is if it's beautiful. Um, when the Bible talks about good, though, the starting point is always Yahweh, the God, the creator. And he is the standard of what is good. Um, one of the theologians says it like this, the goodness of God means that God is the final standard of good and that all that God is and does is worthy of approval, right? So if you want to know what's good, you look to God. And so if there's any good in the world, uh, it's, it's because it's reflecting the heart and the character of God. And so when you see something that's good in the world, even if it's not a super religious thing, which we'll talk about in a minute, um, you can thank the Lord for it because that good thing is reflecting his character. And so the first exercise, I want you to pause the video uh, and then do this. Write down one thing that you see that is good in the world. Um, and then how does that thing reflect uh, the character of God? So pause the video, write down maybe one or two of these if you want. Um, and then come back on pause the video. We'll jump to the second, uh, the second thing we have to be thankful for. All right, number two. The second thing that we have to be thankful for is that God is better than our idols. Verse 2, give thanks to the God of gods for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords for his steadfast love endures forever. So we talk about idolatry a lot um, in sermons, this idea. Uh, of idolatry is that, that the Lord, Yahweh God, the Father, is supposed to be the center of your life, right? And we're supposed to be built around him and um, we're supposed to worship him and let him be the actual Lord. And so idolatry is when we take something other than God, anything. Uh, it could be a good thing. It could be a bad thing, whatever it is. And we put that in the center and we expect that thing uh, to uh, fulfill us the way that only God is supposed to fulfill us. So they, people do it with bad things like... Um, uh, I'm trying to think of an example, right? Uh, you know, I don't know, sinful things like pride. And we think, okay, if I can just be the center of everything, then I'll truly be fulfilled. Um, and so we take things that are bad and we make that the center. But people also do it with good things like relationships. I'm going to make my marriage the center of my whole world. And I'm going to expect my wife or my husband to fulfill me in a way that only God can. And then those relationships crush those people. Um, let me flip over and read to you uh, from the end of the Bible. Here, let me put this here. Let me read to you from right near the end of the Bible. This is Revelation 21, uh, verses, what are we, uh, 22 uh, through 26. Uh, so this is the end times, this is what happens, right? And in the new heavens and new earth. And I saw no temple in that city, for its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. And the city had no need of a sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it its light, and the lamp uh, is the Lamb. 
By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no light there. They will bring, uh, they will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those uh, who are written in the Lamb's, whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So that part at the beginning of that is awesome, right? There, the temple is where God's very presence would dwell. And it says when we get the, the new heavens and new earth, we're not going to need a temple, right? Be, and we're not going to need a temple for false idols. We're not going to need idolatry because we're going to be perfectly fulfilled uh, and sustained, right? God will be the sun. The glory of God will be like the sun, which is figurative language to say uh, he, will, he will fill us. He will sustain us. He, it'll be perfect. We'll be perfectly in touch with God, our creator, the way that we were meant to be. We don't have to we don't have to worship these false idols. And so what we're called to do here now is be thankful that God um, uh, is better than our idols, even here in the now, as we're heading into that eternal, um, into that eternal bliss with him. So here's what I want you to do for this next section. Pause the video and then uh, write down, just answer this question. What are your idols? Like what are the things that, the created things that you are trying to uh, fulfill you in a way that only God can fulfill you. And then the second question is, um, how is uh, how have those idols failed you, and how is Jesus better than those idols? So take a minute and just you know meditate and think about this question: How is Jesus better than those idols? All right. Here's the third idea: is that um, we give thanks to God because He is the Creator. So we're going to read verses four through nine. To him who alone does great wonders, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who by understanding made the heavens, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who spread out the earth above the waters, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who made the great lights, for his steadfast love endures forever. The sun to rule over the day, for his steadfast love endures forever. And the moon and stars to rule over the night. His steadfast love endures forever. So we also can be thankful because God is a pretty great creator. Um, this creation, every all this beauty that we see around us, really cool things like, you know, burning wood in a fire. Um, or, you know, if I look outside, they actually have nature here where my brother lives, right? Um, we have all this wonderful creation, and it was created for us. Now, this isn't really the time or place to do a whole apologetic or systematic theology about creation and all that stuff. So what I want to do is I'm going to show you a quick little video about the size of the universe. And I want you to really watch this video um, and uh, just imagine for a second how big God is. All right, so that was pretty amazing, right? Look at that video, just the size of the universe. Think about the most beautiful place you've seen. Think about how big the universe is. What the Bible says is that all of this was made for us. It was made for you. Um, it says in Genesis 1, 28 and 29, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the, uh, the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. Uh, you shall have them for your food. God built this creation for us and creation shows us how much he loves us, but also 
uh, how awesome he really is. Like I love my motorcycle road trips for this reason. It's like the only time of the year that I really get out and mm. I get to see, um, I get to see God's amazing creation, right? Like one time I was in um, Nevada in a thunderstorm. I think I've told you guys about that before. And the thunder and light, the lightning was um, striking the ground all around me uh, out there in the middle of the desert, in the middle of nowhere, in the, in the rain. And it was the most literally awesomely terrifying moment of my life. But the whole time I was writing, I was thinking, oh my goodness, God created all of this. Or I was in another one of those moments this year when I got caught in a hailstorm at 12,000 feet over the Rockies where the wind actually blew. I had to pull over and then the wind blew my bike over and uh, into the road. Like it was that strong of winds and just the, the awesome power of that storm made me realize how big God is. Or one time I know um, um, Victoria told me before she really loves Yellowstone and uh, uh, riding that day I rode through Yellowstone and then down through the Grand Teton National Park and I pulled over at this pond and I sat at this lake and I uh, had lunch and um, looking at just the beauty of nature, right? Or I have a secret motorcycle spot down Highway 1 where I sit and I pray. I mean, I haven't been there in a while because with the kids and everything, but where I would sit and pray in the canopy of the forest and the redwoods, right? Um, or just like another example is I love the complexity of trees. I love to sit under one single tree and just look at all the leaves and the branches and think just how amazingly complex these things are, you know, these, these organisms are. Uh, it's absolutely mind-boggling. And God created all of this stuff, and he created it all uh, for our benefit. And so the, the third exercise now is write down the three coolest places you've ever been where you experienced God kind of in nature. Could be something as big as the ocean near Fiji or something as small as, uh, I really like the tree outside my bedroom window. So just write those things down, reasons to be thankful, those three places. All right, now the fourth reason that we have to be thankful to God is for um, uh, the, the redemption that he offers us, our salvation. So let's read, we're gonna read, let me see here, verses 10 through 16. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, for his steadfast love endures forever, and brought Israel out from among them, for his steadfast love endures forever, with a strong hand and an outstretched arm, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea in two, for his steadfast love endures forever, and made Israel pass through the midst of it, for his steadfast love endures forever, but overthrew Pharaoh and his host into the Red Sea, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who led people through the wilderness, for his steadfast love endures forever. So when we're reading the Bible, one of the most important things that we can do is seeing patterns, because God uses these patterns. We, I've talked about this a bunch. We call it um, typology. And God uses these patterns to teach us uh, about how wonderful and how great he is. So the, the, the Old Testament is full of these patterns that we see ultimately fulfilled in the New Testament in Christ. And so the Exodus is one of those patterns where God comes uh, to redeem his people with his mighty outstretched arm from the hand of slavery and lead them into the promised land. And so Exodus is a pattern of our redemption that would happen later in Christ, right? You have the slavery. Um, we're slaves. The New Testament tells us we're slaves to sin. And it's no coincidence, right, that Jesus was crucified and gave his life and rose again on the weekend of Passover, where uh, it, the, um, in the Old Testament, we have all this rich imagery of the Passover lamb, of being slaughtered and the blood being smeared on the door so that the, the, the judgment would pass over those houses. And we're covered in the blood of Jesus and we're saved um, by his blood. 
Um, and then we have the, the Red Sea and the ultimate defeat of God's enemies and how sin and the devil will ultimately be defeated and then removed from our lives. And then we have the journey into the promised land, just like we're going to be taken into the new heavens and the new earth. And so we um, should never lose sight of that this is the greatest thing that we have to be thankful for is our redemption when we don't deserve it at all. And so um, uh, for our fourth sort of activity, our fourth uh, writing, uh, take a second and think about your life and your salvation from sin and answer this question. Just take a minute and write this down. How is your life better because of Jesus? All right, now the fifth thing that we have to be thankful for is um, that God is active in our world. So we're going to read verses 17 through 22 now. It says, To him who struck down great kings for his steadfast love endures forever, and killed mighty kings for his steadfast love endures forever. Sihon, the king of the Amorites, his steadfast love, for his steadfast love endures forever. And Og, the king of Bashan, for his steadfast love endures forever. Great baby name, by the way, if anybody's looking for a baby name. Og. Uh, okay, verse 21, and gave their land as a heritage for his steadfast love endures forever. And verse 22, a heritage to Israel, his servant, for his steadfast love endures forever. Okay, so uh, there's a, a group of people who uh, came up with this theology. It's called deism. And the idea behind deism is that God is not active in our world, that there is a God and that he created the world, but then um, sort of the big... Uh, you know, analogy, metaphor, whatever, there is, um, uh, he's like a great uh, clockmaker, watchmaker. Then he set the world, he, he built it, and then he just lets it go. But he's not active in the world. Um, what the psalmist is saying here, you know, he's not active in the daily lives of people. He's just a creator. What the psalmist is saying here is that, no, uh, God is active in our daily lives. Um, and he's active in protecting his people. Um, go read the book of Numbers, which is what a lot of this stuff uh, is talking about. Read the book of Joshua, right? In the, in the book of Numbers, especially, the people are constantly unfaithful to God, and they're constantly rebelling against him. And then he is constantly active in their very world to protect them and bring them into the promised land, right? To defeat these kings um, and to deliver them um, into this land that he had promised, the land flowing with milk and honey. Um, and the greatest example of God being active in our world is what we've been talking, or what we're going to be talking about a bunch during, um, as we read our devotionals during Advent, is the incarnation of Jesus Christ. This is a season that we celebrate that, that he is ultimately active in our world in that he entered our world and became one of us so that he could redeem us. And so the, the fifth thing now I want you to stop and write and take a second is write down two ways that you've seen God active in our world um, in your world, your life specifically this year, even with kind of how horrible 2020 has been. All right, the sixth thing that we have to be thankful for is that God shows mercy to outsiders. Um, this is verse 23 and 24. It is he who remembered us in our lowest state for his steadfast love endures forever and rescued us from our foes for his steadfast love endures forever. So we've talked about this a ton, so I'm not going to beat this horse to death. Uh, but in the book of Luke, the, one of the major themes of the book of Luke is that um, God is uh, bringing outsiders into his kingdom. The people that you would not expect to be part of the kingdom of God now are being brought in. Um, we have the tax collectors, the sick, the demon-possessed, the zealots, the regular fishermen, right? Our next sermon um, that I'm actually researching and writing all this week, 
uh, to record for next week is about the centurion and the faith of the centurion, this outsider. Again, that theme. And so our next exercise is this. Write down the name of an unbeliever um, that you would like to, somebody that's not a follower of King Jesus, right? Somebody outside the kingdom of God that you would like to A, thank God for, and then B, pray that God would work in that person's heart. Um, uh, because a lot of times we think, okay, there's the insiders and the outsiders, and God's heart is for the insiders, but not the outsiders. But what the kingdom of God said is, we're all outsiders. And the only reason that we're brought into the kingdom is because he loved us when we were way out there. And so uh, let's spend some time writing and thinking about some of those people. Okay, now the seventh idea, it says, um, we, get, we can be thankful for God's common grace. Let me explain this. Look at verse uh, 25. For he, sorry, he who gives food to all flesh for his steadfast love endures forever. Now in another place in Matthew uh, 5.45, Jesus says this, for he makes the sun rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. So in our culture, rain is not that great. Uh, we don't like rain too much, or at least I don't. I'm a motorcyclist. I hate rain because when I'm out in the rain, it means I'm really out in the rain. But in, if, if we really think about it, rain is life-giving. Rain is what makes crops is what makes crops grow, and rain is how we have uh, you know the the water that we drink. You know all this. So I mean, rain with without rain in these periods of drought in the ancient world, especially, they were really in a lot of trouble. And so what this says is that God gives rain to people who are followers of him, people who are part of his kingdom and to people who are not, right? He gives food to all flesh. And we call this idea common grace that um, God does not just bless the people who follow him, but he blesses people who don't follow him as well. And that all of us experience different forms of common grace. So not saving grace, not the grace that brings us into the kingdom, right? But um, just grace that shines a little bit of light in the darkness uh, where we live. And we see this common grace show up in a bunch of different ways. Um, we see unbelievers, people who don't love King Jesus. We see them experience the wonders of creation and enjoy it and take good things away from spending time in nature. Uh, we see unbelievers with magnificent um, uh, intellectual achievements. Look at all these scientists right now, who uh, most of whom probably are not believers, out there working on this COVID vaccine. Um, what they're doing in record time really is pretty amazing. Um, we see common grace show up in people's moral behavior in that God doesn't allow people to be, um, even though they're, every part of them is touched by sin, his common grace allows them to have you know, more uh, like a conscience to, to, to hold back some of that sin. Um, we see common grace show up in people's creativity, right? A lot of my favorite bands and artists are not um, believers, you know, but they, they are looking at the world and they're writing these great songs and they're producing these uh, great albums and that sort of stuff. Um, and then maybe one of the last ways is we see common grace show up a lot in um, society. And even though our society right now is... Um, is, uh, you know, pretty divided um, through election season and just a lot about politics. Um, uh, the fact that we have societies working as well as we do is a gift of God's common grace, right? It's like the um, that TV show, what's the one with the zombies, you know, The uh, Walking Dead. The most terrible part of that is not... Um, it's not the zombies, it's the human beings without society there to restrain them. And so that's, you know, all these evil humans. And so that's even a part of God's common grace is that we have these societies 
um, to help benefit all of us. And so here's our next exercise. Write down two ways that you have been specifically helped and blessed by somebody who's outside the kingdom of God. Two things that you can be thankful for from somebody who's not a believer. All right, our eighth thing to be thankful for is for God's special love that he has for his covenant people. Um, look at this last verse here of Psalm 136. Oh, let me turn the page. It says, Give thanks to the God of heaven, for his steadfast love endures forever. So in this psalm, we've read this over and over and over again. God is this, for his steadfast love endures forever. God did that, for his steadfast love endures forever. Yada, yada, yada. His steadfast love endures forever. So the Hebrew word there for steadfast love is the word hesed. And do you remember the Ed Clowney sermon uh, that we showed a few, I mean, what was that, probably, was that while I was on my road trip in July, maybe, uh, where he did a whole sermon about David and the, the water in Bethlehem, and it was the crummy, scratchy old recording. Well, anyway, that whole sermon was about this word, said. And so, number seven, the, the idea there is we thank God for his common grace that he dishes out to all different kinds of people. Um, this is specifically, though, God's love for his covenant people, for his own people. Um, the theologian and philosopher John Frame, talking about the word has said, he said this, uh, it refers to God's covenant loyalty, the commitment of the Lord to the covenant relationship. So think for a second about your family, right? You love your family. You love other people. Sure, right? We're supposed to love all kinds of people. You love your neighbors. You love your coworkers, whatever. But not in the same way that you love your family. There's special love between you and family. That's Haset. God pours out his love on his own people in a very special way. He cares about his people. He's loyal to his people. He blesses them. He keeps promises that he makes to his people. He watches over his people. He loves his people. And so take a minute now for our last exercise and then come back and we'll wrap up. Just take a second and write down as you're thinking about God loving his people and, and how the people of God is a blessing, being a part of the people of God is a special blessing to each of us, write down one way that our church has helped you personally, um, and then write down one way that you can show the hased, right, the love of God to somebody else in our church, right? That you, one way that you can bless somebody in our covenant community, right? All right, so wrapping up. Here's the idea, the big idea here, is that our sin... Uh, our wickedness uh, turns us inward. We, we talk about this a ton, right? That's what sin is. It's turning inward on yourself and ignoring God the Father and uh, saying, you're, I'm not going to, I'm going to be the Lord of my life. You're not going to be the Lord. And what that does is it makes us ungrateful. It makes us forget all the wonderful things that God has done for us. And so the way forward is to be a kind of people who really understand and love the work of Jesus, who look to the cross where we see the ultimate example of Haset, we see the ultimate example of his covenant love for his people. We see the ultimate example of something that we should be thankful for. Our hearts are made new because of the work of Jesus on the cross. Our eyes are opened to all these things that we were blinded to before. And when we were really redeemed by Christ and brought into his kingdom, as our eyes are opened, we see all these new things that we should be thankful for, that we should be grateful for, that we should fall down and praise the Lord because he has given us. Um, Helen Keller, you guys probably know about Helen Keller. Most of what I know about Helen Keller, honestly, is from terrible jokes that some of them are kind of funny, uh, but none of them actually make any sense because Helen Keller was actually brilliant. And, uh, you know, she had, she was born um, uh, 
blind and deaf, and still somehow she managed to communicate with people. And she was a follower of Jesus. And one of my favorite quotes from her that I didn't look up, anyway, she said something once about, I'll use this in a sermon someday, I'm sure. But she said something once about, you know, once she learned how to communicate with people and they told her about God and she goes, oh, that's his name, right? So even being blind and deaf, um, she knew that God existed. She, she felt God. I love that. So Helen Keller said this, for three things, I thank God every day of my life. Thanks that he has vouchsafed me knowledge of his works. Deep thanks that he has set in my darkness uh, the lamp of faith. Deep, deepest thanks that I have another life to look forward to. A life joyous with light and flowers and heavenly song. Here's a woman who was born, like I said, in pretty awful circumstances, blind and deaf, and as miraculous it is, as it is that she could communicate with people, it still was pretty rough. Go I mean, you know, it's a pretty rough life. And here she is talking about three things that every day she thanks God for, right? That he has revealed to her uh, what he's done for her, revealed his works, um, that he's given her faith, and that he's taking her into a better life in eternity. And I love that example that she gives us because a lot of us have way more than she ever had. We have greater access to knowledge, right? We have easier lives than what she had. We have more money, whatever it is, and we're ungrateful. So what I want us to be is the kind of people who are transformed as we look to the cross into the kind of people, right, who are overflowing with thanksgiving. And I don't mean just overflowing with because... Uh, um, once a year when we think about Thanksgiving at Thanksgiving, right? But just to be a people of real Thanksgiving, real, actual, just genuine joy because of all the ways that God has blessed us when we don't deserve any of it. And so the application, the take home for this sermon then is this. Take those notes that you took today, those eight things that you have to be thankful for, right? That all the stuff we talked about, he's the creator, he's better than your idols, he, he pours out his love on you. Um, all that stuff. Take those things and just keep them with you somewhere where you'll read them at least once or twice a week until uh, Christmas time. Use these things as sort of an Ebenezer stone, like from 1 Samuel, where you, you, you can look at them and you can say, oh yes, this is what God has done for me. This is why I can be thankful. So uh, let's thank him now uh, in, our, uh, in our prayers. Lord, we are so grateful for what you have done we ask your forgiveness for the moments when we seem to forget that, when we're not active um, in our thanksgiving. I just pray, Lord, that you would help us to remember uh, just all the amazing things that you have done for each of us personally, just to bring us into the kingdom, to bring us uh, closer to you, but also collectively as a community. Um, you really have done some amazing things to, to build our little church. And, um, you know, we're a pretty good little like I always say, a mixed up group of weirdos, right? Where else are we going to get together? And so we thank you that you have drawn us close to one another, um, even during this time of COVID and, um, you know, this virus that seems to give us so many reasons to not be thankful, Lord. We are thankful for everything that you've done for us. And so um, as we head into the Advent season starting today, I just pray that um, as we read these devotionals and all that sort of stuff, that uh, you would you would help us to just Remember who you are, what you've done for us, and to be overflowing with joy and praise and thanksgiving. So we just pray all these things in your name. Amen.